What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Newer, recording this on a Wednesday night. As you all know, I like to start each pod with a beer of my choice, but since I just got back from Florida, I'll just be sticking with water tonight. So, let's talk some Minnesota sports. All right, let's transition to some Twins talk. I have my very first guest actually on the pod. I have Sherry from Twins Daily. Uh, you can follow her at MN Soda Sports Gal. Uh, Sherry, how's it going? How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited. Chris Paddock. Yes, Chris Paddock. I'm um, I'm not quite sure. Uh, <laughs> when I saw the information about the wet field <laughs> when that Brandon Wolf yes out, he's like, oh, he's not. He's really tight. I'm like. Yeah, there had to be. Th- I still think that there's something else there. Of ever has the field can. Okay. <laughs> All right, sir. I'm. Listen, he's definitely. I'm quite sure that he could have. I, it seems like oh, for us, the twins, we are bringing in a lot of players that are having a comeback season. And frankly, I'm kind of tired of that. And I was reading a little bit on Chris, and I know the Mets really wanted him after Scherzer and DeGrom both slid right. off their um, day opener. But I, again, he's still not the ace that we're looking for. He's another starter, sure. Um, but he had trouble last year, I know, with strains and injury in his elbow. I'm not saying that Wes Johnson can't put him back together. Wes Johnson seems to be really doing what he needs to do with that staff. My my thought is this. <laughs> we lost Frankie. <laughs> and and we need starting pitching, and we do need a solid rotation. And, again, if we can pick up another starting pitcher. I mean, I don't like having three or four starting pitchers to replace one. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a tough position. I, after knowing like the athletics know that we need to send out a big haul, like his trade value went up immensely after we got Correa because they know that we need starting pitching badly. You know, you're not signing Carlos Correa for just a season to play around for a 500 year. So they know we want like top of line starting pitching, especially like they see our starting rotation. It's not great. But, I mean, Chris Paddock, he's still young. I pitched 23 games. I mean, he had a 7-7 seven seven record, 5.07 ERA. His wins above replacement was negative 0.8, so there's that. But right. he's a guy who has really good command of the ball, doesn't walk much, Mm-mm. pitches His well in the strike zone. zone. His strike zone is beautiful, which is great. With the wrong hitter, it's going to not be so great, but – yeah. His fastballs are upwards of 93, 95 miles an hour. So, I mean, you're right. If it's, if his command and his control are there, he can, he can get a lot done. I just want it to be a good decision for us and not us just scrambling to make yeah, it. Yeah. It just depends on what the trade package is. It could be, I haven't seen anything yet. I haven't been scrolling through Twitter right now since we've been talking, but. 
I mean, there has been talks. Maybe there's going to be more. I mean, they haven't said it's official, but I mean, pretty much when you're nearing a trade, it's basically a done deal. They're kind of just working out the kinks. Taylor Rodgers is in the mix, and so is Kirillov. That's rumor. That's all I've seen. It doesn't mean that's where they're going, but those two. Yeah, I literally just saw the tweet just now (laughs) as soon as he said that. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a lot, which means I saw Darren Wilson of KSTP. He tweeted out and said, maybe there's more. So that's kind of leaving the door open to potentially uh, just a bigger trade there. I don't know what else would be involved, but can, I mean, yeah, can there is a three-team trade and we can get Frankie. I don't know. I it You're right, yeah. because I knew as soon as they had him, uh, Larnick, and to be honest, and people are going to hate me for this, and that's okay, because a lot of people hate me for a lot of my takes. They hate me for my love of Jake Cave, and they uh, hate me for my boisterous voice over Byron Buxton. But here's the deal. Larnick isn't anything, I think, that is contributing to the Twins in the way that the Twins are looking for him to contribute. Um, I do think he's expendable. And when I saw that the roster changed, I was like, okay, like, that's weird. That's really weird. And then to see that he was pulled for wet field conditions and he's tight, like, what is tight? Like... (laughs) And so it's all, it's all coming together, you know, and so it's very possible, you know, if the trade package is bigger and it ends up being a three team trade, I do know that the Padres have really made some huge acquisitions lately, some huge ones. Um, And I know that the A's know that everybody still needs huge acquisitions. So I don't know. Yeah. And the A's are just okay with getting rid of everybody. They have been since night since forever. So <laughs> Yeah, it's and plus you bring that up with Trevor Larnick. I mean, he could be like he could be tight and but and maybe they're being cautious, but it, it, it did seem a little weird. It kind of brings up the point that there's maybe something gonna be going down here. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I'd want to give up Taylor Rogers, but yeah, that one you can that's tough because he is like the staple of the bullpen he was the bullpen last year before he got hurt yeah I don't think that would and I know I know with that we have talked about and seen a lot with Devin Smeltzer right like he's gotten a lot better we know that he's going to be coming up in a matter of time the fact that he wasn't already is a little weird but um we do have we do have cushion but not enough cushion that I think getting rid of Taylor Rogers is the right decision for this organization or the fans. Really. I think we've had a really tumultuous off season. And yep. if we lose one more fan favorite, I think people are going to lose it. <laughs> yeah. And as much as I'm not like super high on Max Kepler, I really don't want to see him go out on a trade for some reason. Cause he's just, he's part of that 2019 team. Yes. Or he's even like seeing like when stall. Mitch Garver went out, yeah. I liked the trade for Mitch Garver, but it was like it still sucked to see. Like, yeah. it's hard to see those players go. So I'm I'm a little attached to Kepler. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not as high on Larnick either. I think he has really good raw power. I think he's going to be a guy who hits low two hundreds, hits twenty to thirty home runs. Yeah, his power is incredible. But it is it's, when, it's, when he's hitting. It's, it's yeah, when he's hitting. That's the issue. He didn't. Yeah. He looked really good yes. there at the start, and then he kind of slow. He not even slowly. He 
he dropped off very, very hard. And he wasn't even that good in AAA when he when he got sent down. So it's it's a trip. It's a tricky situation, I guess. It really is. It and you know, my mom was talking to me. We were reviewing an article. She wanted me to break down Betsy Hale fans article um, about the top five um, Twins prospects. And she's like, I don't get why. If we don't want him in our organization, why is he going somewhere else? Well, change of scenery, changing mm-hmm. coaching. Um, maybe we just don't have the right environment for him. It, baseball is so mental. Yes, it's physical, but it's so mental that we've seen things like David Ortiz happen, right? Mm-hmm. And if we didn't secure Byron Buxton as much as he never played, now all of a sudden he's doing really well, he's really healthy, and how shitty of us would it have been if we would have gotten rid of him? So there's always that caveat, but right. that doesn't mean that if they stay, they're still going to be successful here. Yeah. And another part to that is uh, the twins coach. Uh, who is, what is he now? Bryce Tangler. I'm looking it up. I can't remember. It's I been such a long off season. Oh my God. That makes me such a bad fan. No, because I'm super excited about our first base. Chase Tingler, not Bryce. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's how long the that's how long the lockout's been. I can't remember. I I'm really bad at names too. He is the Twins bench coach now, but he was the Padres manager for a while there. So bringing in Chris Paddock and maybe other players in that thing could make a lot of sense too. Oh my! So that maybe helps with the change of scenery. Maybe because I mean Paddock, he had that really good rookie season where he. What was it a three point something ERA? Yeah, three point three three ERA, nine and seven record, and then he's slowly and he's like gotten he's gotten worse as time's gone on. But I mean, yeah, you talk about the injury, and I mean he's still young, so you have. I think he'll be fine, but I don't want to give up a ton of stuff for a guy who may be your third or fourth yeah, option. He's, I mean, he's also twenty six though. Yeah. So. You're getting a young guy. You're not getting like a 33-year-old. And if Gray leaves, you're not stuck with some guy who's... Oh, my God. Uh, you're not pushing uh, Jay Happ or Matt Shoemaker end of the career. Happ and Shoemaker. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. I'm still haunted by them. Right? Oh, my gosh. That was that was awful. That season, it just like... But you just kept thinking like, okay, maybe they'll turn the corner. And then after like May, you're like, Okay, but there's still a lot of season left, and it just <laughs> never happened. After every game, I was like, "Yeah, but there's still like 70 more games." <laughs> <laughs> it was oh my gosh, perpetual Twins fan demise. Like, you yeah, just, it's like oh yeah, it's it's horrible. I remember watching Hap one game, and he had a really good right away in the beginning of the season. He had some very good games, and yeah. then he just took a dive. I was like. Oh my God. Like, yeah. And you had that one no hitter game too yes! for a while there. Yes! And I was like, okay, maybe he's back. He yeah. wasn't, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so I'm ex- Listen, when I say I'm excited, what I'm excited for the fact that we're making moves. This is the first yep. time in probably. Shit. I'm 42. 10 11 years i've seen really any big moves being made by this organization but joe mauer also ate up a lot of our money um yeah 
So I, you know, maybe that has something to do with it, maybe not. I don't know. But at least, you know, as much as Donaldson wasn't that great here, we made a big move for him. So at least that's what I'm excited about, that our that our ownership is finally making big moves. And maybe the lockout is exactly what they needed. They did get yeah. the rules changed. Now we have a draft lottery. You can't technically tank anymore. So maybe it's behoove of the Twins to actually play baseball mm-hmm. and get us some yeah. actual players. And this is an unpopular take, but I've actually never – i not never, I guess, but – I've always, I will, I've always thought that Falvey and Levine, there's always something there with them. They always seemed like someone that would make a move. So I, I don't know. I, I know it's unpopular amongst like Twins fans, but I actually never had that big of an issue with them. I guess this off season going into the lockout, I was getting a little annoyed because, it's, I mean, there's nothing happening. But right. I think they've made up for it a bit. I've seen in the, in the past they've made moves, nothing like spectacular but i I've, I've always thought there was something in their bag and i, I think we're kind of seeing it right now so hopefully this kind of this trend continues and next year next off season i don't even want to think about next off season yeah, yet can but yeah so that's a good segue into like we are going to be talking about three excitements for the 2022 season uh, so we're just going to go off a list and we'll cross off anything. I'm sure we'll have maybe one or two overlaps, but what do you have as your first excitement of the season? Okay. So my first thing is everybody knows that initially I'm not a Byron Buxton fan. Um, and it's not a, not a fan of him as a responsibility to the organization. He's consistently hurt. So it's hard for me to say, yes, he's absolutely worth it. Um, but I've seen a huge change in him, even in spring training. And I know people are like, Oh, it's spring training. I'm sorry. The dude is actually putting in the work. Right. Um, and Carlos Correa, I, I am still bitter about the 2017 Astros. Yes. I know the Yankees were involved. (laughs) Yes. I know that Boston was involved and other, I get it. So for me, it was hard to rectify bringing on someone who slapped the game in the face, essentially. Um, and got away with it. That being said, that's the human nature of baseball. That's the human nature of sports. So for me, my very first thing that I'm excited about is the fact that I've seen the dynamic of those two working together. And I really think that that's going to bolster our defense. And I think even with trading out players in the outfield and infield during spring training, there was so much chemistry between so many players just when Buck and Correa were out on the field. How can you not be excited about that? I would be a really bad baseball fan if I was like, oh, yeah, but still, no, no, yeah, but still. (laughs) There's chemistry. It was a smart decision. Investing in Buxton was smart. And as much as I didn't like it initially, Correa was a good idea too. That's Again, I was banking on Trevor Story, and now here we are with the potential to – I mean, bold statement, go to the World Series or at least the ALCS. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's- I mean, <laughs> that was my number one excitement too. And I I know I've been posting stuff. I've been talking about stuff. I do think they have a chance at contending for World Series. Granted, if their starting pitching is, you know, it gets improved. But that's an offensive lineup that can turn things around and be a top five, top ten team. I mean, I, I don't think it's that out of the question to think that they can't make one i mean you're talking about 
Carlos Correa, who's one of the best playoff performers in MLB history. He, the guy, the guy gets it done. So I mean, that's my number one. Like, I mean, you're talking about Buxton in center, Correa at short, and then you have Jeffers behind the play. That's an that's that's an elite defensive trio right there, up and down the middle, right there. Abs- absolutely, I, it's hard to not, it, you know, and even as Jeffers has come to the plate and struggled a little bit in spring training towards the end with more at bats, he finally started to really show himself. So that I agree. I agree. I was a little bit nervous when he was not doing so well there in the beginning, but it's spring training. So you really can't judge yeah. him about that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not very high on his bat, but his defense is elite. Oh, it's I good. like his arm and his bat can turn around again. He has really good power. I mean, power is not everything we've seen. So struggle. We I mean, Gary Sanchez will hit probably 20 plus home runs, but he hit low 200 strikeout 50% of the time. I mean, that's exaggeration, but I mean, I honestly, same with you though. I didn't think that Trevor, I thought we were getting Trevor story. I woke up and I was like, (laughs) Holy shit, Carlos Correa. I thought I was, I thought I was half asleep. I thought I was dreaming still. Yeah, I was. And I woke up to, I, I should, you not like 85 Twitter notifications. My DMs were full. People were mentioning me. I'm like, what is going on? Like, what in the world is blowing up? And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and not blowing up right now. Yeah. No, since I was in Florida, too, like, you're, I'm an hour ahead. So, like, I went to bed earlier because usually I'm not in bed at that time. I like to stay up late. I woke up at, like, 6. And, I, I mean, like, I was like, are you kidding me? Of course, of the nights that... I'm in, on vacation, I'm in bed. Right? And I want to go out and do stuff later that day. So I was like, oh shit, I got to get up right now. I got to write this really fast. I got to, my head was just like going, I was, it was one of the craziest days, honestly, of Twins Twitter. It was so much fun, but it's going to be a fun season watching those two. They were mashing home runs or getting hits. I mean, they, I mean, I don't know, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani might be the, top two still in baseball but you you're talking about if Buxton's healthy that could be top three top two yeah I really am kind of tired of not seeing Buxton in the top in the top conversations right MLB on yeah and he should be MLB and I get it yeah and even as someone as a naysayer for a couple of years you know I agree he should he needs to be healthy but when he's healthy he is so good and I think that's why I'm so frustrated with him like dude yes but I also grew up in the Ken Griffey Jr. era, and that dude played hard ball. And when you play with your heart and when you play hard ball, those are the things that are going to happen. And I realize that. It just gets old sometimes. That's all. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. But I mean, I'm not a, I was actually a pretty good fan, pretty big fan of the contract. Eight years, 100 million. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like incentives. So, I mean, if he gets to that incentive, I know I tweeted out long time back when he actually had the deal but it's upwards of 300 something million yeah. I mean, granted he gets every single achievement but if he's doing that then you're winning you're maybe winning the world series he's probably winning mvp so it's right. not really a lose situation i don't think because eight years 100 million that's not that much to invest in a guy who could be the best player in baseball if he's healthy well right and again that cat you know and that was the thing too looking at all those riders looking at all that information 
he has the the reason those are in the contract is because he has the ability to do those right like right. we know he's capable of them so now is the time man and it really feels like he realizes it too that if the twins are willing to invest in him he's going to give back on his investment on our investment so i'm not saying he was holding out but i really think he is striving to make those changes yeah it's even if they i would not have been a fan if they gave him that 200 or 300 that would have been pushing it even though it's tough because you want to see him on the team because obviously being a minnesota fan you're thinking well, as soon as he goes to the other team, he's going to be healthy. He's going to be hitting 300. He's going to be winning MVP. And then we'd be sitting on Twitter complaining, why did we not pay him 200 or 300? But I love the deal. I think it's a good move. So yep. it was a great move. What's number two? Number two. This doesn't sound really super weird, but <laughs> I love it. Um, Hank Conger. I am super excited about Hank Conjure and really to be completely honest the rest of the staff that we seem to have built there is a couple of guys on there that are not analytics and statistic guys that are just ball players and I I I know that we are in this whole we got to look at the numbers got to look at this got to look at that I get it I get it money ball on the line on paper but really, when it comes to Hank Conjure and the way he coaches and the way he deals with the players and how he teaches, he really teaches behind the game. You know, his main focus is everything um, behind the plate. His main focus is framing. It's, you know, getting out of your head. It's making sure your stance is correct, not leaning too far. Staying. He just seems to have this really – and isn't it interesting that he – played but he didn't play for very long right he wasn't up for very long and then there was the um the pandemic and he went over to play in korea and pardon me and um he did really well over there and the fact that he was willing to come back here and he knew rocco prior but he wasn't like besties with him or anything on the fact that he still saw what Rocco was trying to do and wanted to hop on board with that was really awesome. I like that we have some players players um, that are coming back and coaching instead of just a bunch of analytics guys. And so I'm really excited, but um, I think Hank Conjure has done amazing with these guys, especially at first base, coaching them, working with them, catching. So I really like our coaching staff. I think that is going to be number one in two how how much further we do get you know it's on the players yeah, yeah. but you, it you, is you gotta have you gotta have the, the proper coaching as well so i'm stoked for our coaching staff honestly when i sent you the three things that you're excited about i did not expect that but i love it i totally forgot about some of the coaching staff because i happened i mean really relatively early to yeah. the November, off season December. <laughs> yeah but and even so like they they did hire Tingler. They have Conjure. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a bunch of guys who have been baseball players. You're hiring a former manager as your bench coach. Yep. I love the moves. I I'm not a huge analytically analytic guy. Thank you. Even though that sounds kind of weird, I am 23. Even and so usually that's kind of the age I feel like everything is more numbers driven, analytics. Let's do modern type of stuff, but. At the end of the day, baseball is baseball. You have yes. to kind of go back to 
go back to the roots a little bit because I think in the past the Minnesota has been way too analytically driven, and mm-hmm. sometimes that came back to bite them in the ass. So yep. I love the move. I think he should help a lot, and I was actually really excited about that coaching staff when yeah. all that was going down. It that was actually like one of my things that I totally forgot about. I, so yeah, I just I I really think that having. Having that human on the way home today on the plane, I watched Moneyball again, and it, it like granted Best Moneyball movie. doesn't work, yeah. You know? But Billy Bean's concept is so true. Like it, you know, it's not you. You're not buying the player; you're buying the wins, right? Mm-hmm. And you definitely. How can you not be romantic about baseball? How can you not be romantic about the fact that? these people go out and play with their heart and soul. That's not things that you find on paper. That is why I like Jake Cave so much. Yes, on paper, he's horrible. And don't get me wrong, his at-bats lately have been miserable. I know, I'm, I'm not crazy. <laughs> but there is no outfielder that I can remember and that I know of that is at the pro level, that's really good, obviously. But there's no outfielder that tries as hard as that man. Like... His grind don't stop. He's not going to stop until he's as good as he wants to be and, or as good as he can be. And that, that is the human element of baseball. That is what does it for me. I don't, I could care less if I went and we learned with the 2017 Astros. You can buy your way and cheat your way into winning, but if you don't have that natural raw talent, what good is it? There isn't it. Yeah. So that's that's why I love the coaching because it does bring the human element into it. And I'm kind of, I really think you, there's certain pieces of the puzzle and that's one of them. Yeah. No, and I'll, I've never publicly said it, but I actually am a huge JK fan. <gasps> Not, Stop! Yeah. Stop! Because he gives 110% on every single play. I don't, he's not great, I guess, production-wise, hitting. No. But he get, he does give you 110%. So when you know he's in center or he's in the field, you're like, any ball that's hit in that general direction, he's going to give you everything to go catch that ball. And I love it. Yep. every That man. And let me tell you what, his wife is just sweet as can be. And when <laughs> I told her, like, I called Jake my bestie, and I'm like, I hope it's okay. And she, she loves it. She's like, I love the fact that there's people out there that see his hard work. And she said, that's one of the reasons she was never going to um, marry another athlete. Cause she's an athlete. And she's like, I know what marrying an athlete is going to be like, blah, blah, blah. And she said, she just, she saw his drive and his potential and his everyday just gusto for everything life. And she's like, how could I not fall in love with that? And I'm like, I, girl, I, I get it. Like you're my bestie. Like I understand. <laughs> and yeah. so she gets a huge kick out of the fact that I call him my bestie because I really do enjoy watching him play. No, it's it's fun. I mean, the at bats they're sometimes painful to watch, but he he has he had that one season where when Buxton was injured for most of the year and he was playing really well. I think I still think that there's something there. I'm not I'm not gonna be like bummed if he doesn't actually ever hit it, but I do really like him as a player. I mean, I can see why his wife does. I mean, he's Silver Fox. He's actually he's a good looking guy. Yeah, he is. 
and she loves the beard and that was part of the like i was like no. i like the beard too yeah she said that he had to clean it up though so it won't be like super crazy like last season it's gonna stay kind of kind of intact so I'm, I'm kind of excited to see actually yeah. what that does <laughs> and i'll agree with that i'll agree with her on that one <laughs> <laughs> one of my excitements is watching the development of the prospects being a twins fan you always are getting more than likely a top draft pick so watching the guys come up and last year when i started my site about halfway through i decided to do some like prospect covering uh, writing every after every game, I'm in the Excel sheet entering their numbers in. After it's a lot of work, but it is like fun to watch them progress as the season goes along. I mean, I see different guys who go through a month stretch where they're just they're not hitting anything, and then there's a week or two where they're hitting 370, 400 with a couple home runs. It's a lot of fun to see. I love watching the development of the prospects. It's just Minnesota fans know. That when you're um, you're a fan of this state, you're gonna be you're gonna be a fan of a lot of potential from young guys. That's usually the that's usually the kind of saying here. Like, yep. oh, but he has a lot of potential. That's yep. my favorite line to say. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see like how Royce Lewis performs in AAA. Jose Miranda. I mean, I was really hoping he would make the roster, but I'm ex- I'm still excited to see him play AAA. Was that he just needs more at bats? Right? Yeah, he does. I and he went over five last night, so that was that was not fun to see. No, I was like, no, it was not. Yeah, uh, I, but, I think that the prospects are. We've been waiting for that, right? We've been waiting for that farm yeah. system. We've been waiting for that ability to reach deep down into the bowels of the farm team and grab. Yeah. People. So I think there's so much, oh my God, you're right. The potential I, my number one prospect is going to be Devin Smelter forever. Like <laughs> that dude. He's, awesome. It's a heartwarming story too. And it is. And he and I actually, um, we got diagnosed with cancer at the same time and we both went into remission at the same time. So it was kind of oh. like that, that personal feeling for me too. And, but he, that's another guy who does not quit does not quit and his pitching looked chef's kiss I, yeah i really oh. hope he performs he had that the last like year where it was a struggle but he had that stretch when he came over from the dodgers and it was he looked good yeah so there is there's always something there even if it's out of the bullpen yep or even that long relief i i'd love to see him on the team i'm yep. hoping that he gets another shot but i mean i'm also there's also the guys like Keone Cavaco. You have Aaron Sabato. Those other guys, I'm not categorizing categorizing them in that same category as Jose Miranda, Royce Lewis, Austin Martin, because they have a long way to go. But I want to see that bounce back. It was so painful tracking them every single week and seeing low 100s, oh, maybe God. one for 18 with four, five, six, seven strikeouts. So I'm hoping to see a bounce back. I think they have a lot of potential. Cavaco. He's a guy I was really high on coming out of high school. I think he has like that, those tools to not. I think he was compared to Manny Machado. I'm not. I don't think he'll ever be anywhere near that. But it's still exciting to think about the possibilities. And we saw that wave with Buxton, Sano, Kepler, all those guys coming up. It's a lot of fun, and I think we have that next wave knocking on the door there in AAA. We have oh, I don't know how many of those top prospects in there. Right there. 
it's unbelievable. It's I don't think I've ever seen our farm system that stacked. Yeah. Except for the 20, probably 2016, 2017 Rochester Red Wings. Um, when yeah. Hayes Vargas was down there, Snow was down there at one point. Like, outside of that. And that wasn't even a class. That was more of an injury list. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, I mean, outside of that, the prospects really haven't been haven't been deep. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of I think they have maybe one of the better depths in baseball. They don't necessarily have that top 10 guy, top 5, top 15, like we've seen kind of in the past when Buxton was down there, so no. But they have a lot of depth, especially pitching. That's kind of the yeah. one thing I'm really excited about. Yes. The depth in the pitching is really, really important. And yeah. I think that our offense, I just don't want to see our offense get tired. That's Yeah, last year was kind of painful oh, to God. see out of the gate. Because oh. you know that was supposed to be a season again where you're like, they could break the home run record, they could do all those things, and they just regress so, so mightily. Oh, my God, and all those bullpen games. Don't even get me started with those. Oh, my God. That's actually my third excitement is bullpen, not the bullpen <laughs> games, but just the bullpen <laughs> in general. Because I think there's a lot of, I think we have actually a decent bullpen. I mean, we saw last last half of the season, they turned things around. That first half was brutal to watch, but as the season kind of progressed, they really turned it on. I mean, they were top, I mean, they weren't top, but they were top, they are above average, I thought, for a while there. I mean, you got Tyler Duffy. Taylor Rogers, I mean, I haven't looked to see if he actually is included in the trade, but you if he is not, I mean you have Tyler Duffy, Taylor Rogers, uh, then you have Joe Smith, and then uh, Yoan Duran, Jorge Acala, I mean, even Caleb Fieldbar at times. Oh, Duran, I, oh yes. Yeah, Duran. I, mean, I think that's a nice setup. You're like, oh yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, and that guy. And I've never yeah. had that excitement before. Like, oh my god, that guy. Yes. Yeah, and that's the bullpen too. You have Rogers, you have Rogers finishing it off, you have Tyler Duffy can turn things or he kind of looked a little better at the end of the season too. Okay. I was kind Tyler of Duffy surprised me in spring training that did he? either did some stuff um, during the off season or he's listening or he, I don't know, but now you're getting me really excited. <laughs> he has a competitive edge to him that I think is extremely important too. Yeah. And I think he is really hard on himself, right? Like, who wouldn't be? Like, I get it. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. He's very emotional on the mound, too, when he's out there. And that's, I think, maybe that's it. He's really kind of reeled in his emotions, or at least on his face, anyway. Um, But he looked... I wasn't shaking when he came up on the... I didn't go, oh, God, here comes Duffy. Yeah, that was a lot of last last (laughs) year, but then... That's... I really think he's going to have a big year this year, so I'm I'm excited. I mean, do you have, I mean, the whole thing right there. You have Duran, Rogers, Duffy, and Joe Smith there at, as your top four. Even Jorge Acala, who can maybe come in around the six, yes, maybe in like high leverage situations if he figures it out. You have, I mean, Duran and Alcala who can both flame throw past any oh, hitter. Just... I'm really excited about his. Oh I want to see him as a starter, but. I like the option of having him come out of the bullpen the to start, kind of get things warmed up. And 
Yeah. I mean, we may see Josh Winder too out of the bullpen. I'm not really sure. I have oh, to do some more digging. Oh my god, that guy surprised the hell out of me. And his mom, that kid is from Virginia. His mom teaches at my friend's daughter's school, and I'm sitting down else? to interview her when I get back next week. That's gonna be and, exciting. Oh my, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. It just happened to like. Somebody posted, my friend sent me the message and she's like, oh yeah, this is so-and-so and her son has a baseball game today. A non-baseball fan, by the way. And he's in Florida. And I was like, that's fucking Josh Winder. What? <laughs> that, that, I was like, wait a minute. I had to like process everything that was going on because that kid is sick. He's good. Oh, I really thought he was going to make his debut last season, but then he got shut down. I think he's actually the one guy, if of all the three, maybe Balzavic, but I think of the, if you're talking Duran, Winder, and Balzavic, I think Winder has the best case or the most potential to stick in that rotation. Um, I, yeah, I, um, to be completely honest, I was a little frustrated when he didn't make the 40 man. I, and maybe that was just hopeful thinking on my part because I did like what I saw in spring training, but again, yeah. spring training and I, you <laughs> know, a lot of spring training. Yes. Yes. And so I have to remember that they're playing against the same players on other teams that we are putting out, you know, our second and third. Yep. So but he just seemed to really, that kid was fire. I, so I was a little upset when he didn't make it, but he'll be up sooner rather than later. Yeah, he'll be up. I would almost bet maybe it's this season. Oh, God. Especially if an injury or two. Yeah. I don't think, the, I don't really think the Twins could hold back on another year. That would be, that would be a head scratcher. And that's, That'd be probably my breaking point on the front <laughs> office after talking so highly of them. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What's um, number three on your list? So number three is kind of a a duel, but the they're singular and the same. Um, Snow and Arise. Yes. Um, Arise, hands down, one of the most underrated players in MLB. Sorry. So much fun to watch. Sorry for you. Hate me all you want. My DMs are open. I don't care. <laughs> um, he's underrated. The guy can rake. He's got great timing. He knows what he's doing. Um, yes, having him DH is smart, but he's also a three-tool guy. So, you know, I really find it frustrating that we don't use him more but that being stated between a rise and snow both in good health both are i mean snow's timing has gotten much better thanks to nelly thanks to the hitting coaches like there's so much not even potential he's there um and as long as he stays out of his own way he and a rise are going to run that field and that's what I'm really, really excited about. It's hard to be excited for more one than the than the other because Arise technically at this point is a position player, but doesn't really have a position. Yeah, so he's gonna probably bounce 
bounce back to give people rest, cover DH for Sanchez, like, but I really feel like he is underrated, underappreciated, and um, he and Snow are going to, they're going to rake this year, and I'm really, really excited to see their discipline and their growth. Yeah, they're two completely different players, too. I mean, you're talking about Rise 300 hitter, Snow, I mean, lower. But I still have the faith in him that Sano can turn back the clock and go back to that rookie season. Yeah. I'm still – I know Twitter's out on him. I'm kind of out on him. But it's so hard to, like, say no to him. Because when he hits that home run, he, I've made it very clear. His home run is my favorite to watch. Oh, yeah. He, when he makes contact on that thing, he's making all contact on that. that there's nothing that he's missing. Nothing. Nothing. And the fact that um, next year is the option, right? Um, but yep. next year also comes with, I don't know if you've seen his contract, but massive, massive incentives. Um, so this is kind of his last year to really continue to work it and stay um, where he's at and collect on not only those incentives, but the belief of the club as well. And yeah, I'm expecting big things. Yeah, I really, I, I really feel like everything's been building up to this. And of course, he can flop, but I don't, I don't see him flopping. So that's yeah, a rise and snow are my number three, hands down. Yeah, I'm excited about watching those two. Sano last year kind of to prove himself. So I think he has a bounce back season. I think maybe having Correa in the locker room too that might help i'm not sure maybe i'm just grasping at things i'm trying to be really optimistic right now (laughs) but it's the new season i'm really excited oh my god i'm just gonna will myself through this i'm going to be like this you have to be though it's it's a new season you have to be think about each player like okay this is what's gonna happen it's hard not to it's tough to see a rise not really have a position right now i know his defense is kind of skeptical yeah skeptical But I do like him in that super utility role, kind of like what we saw with Marwin Gonzalez in the past. Yep. I think he has that. He can pretty much play anywhere. I mean, not a, like it's not going to be great, but it, he can play pretty much around, anywhere around the field. Yep. So, I mean, that's going to be very valuable, especially when players need the day off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I really think, like I said, he's underrated. But I guess yeah. that makes him slide just enough under the radar where we don't want to trade him. And so we just keep him. And nobody else really sees his potential, I guess, because we, we've underplayed him so much. And that's fine. Dude, I'll hang on to you. Like, yeah. if he flies under the radar and he stays here for forever, all right. Yeah, I love I love Luis Arise. I think he's fun to watch. He always puts the ball in play, especially when he's having those battles with the pitcher and he's staring them down after they give him, they pitch a ball. It's just so much fun to watch. And I hope, I know. I think he is. I think him and Kepler are kind of those two MLB like on players on the roster that are most likely to get moved if if it did go down. I mean, I guess I'm still have not checked Twitter, so who knows what's still happening. But as of right now, thinking that he's not traded, I I like his potential still the season. I think he'll hit 300. He kind of slowed down towards the end of the year, but he's a guy who knows how to hit. He puts the ball in play. It's super valuable. I think he'll. Yep. I think he's going to be a huge part of that locker room. Absolutely, uh, 
I think he's going to be good too for the younger kids coming in. Yeah. And Nick Gordon is just hilarious to watch. You know, Nick Gordon, man, that dude just like. He, he's a guy you want to root for. Yes. He's, I've since they drafted him, I've like always been watching his like minor league stuff. I'm like, okay, this year, maybe I don't know what it was, but like ever since he got drafted, I was like, okay, I got to just follow this guy. He's, yeah. he's fun to watch. His hitting has kind of been a little here and there, but he does give a hundred percent too. He, he, yep. he brings a lot of juice. He stole a lot of bases there. He was, he's got a good fire to him. Yeah. And he, follows buck around like a lost puppy it's hilarious <laughs> like he just this like, is the inside i need like bucks the goat bucks the goat bucks the, like everything out of his mouth byron buxton byron buxton byron and so good then yes that that's be, a guy you want to follow yes then let that be it and so i really the chemistry in the clubhouse this season even with nelly being gone is yeah amazing I think, I think that's a pretty big piece. I mean, I don't know how much you follow basketball, but the Timberwolves, that whole locker room, they love playing for each other. Like they like playing with each other, and that's arguably almost one of the most important factors you can have. I mean, if you if your team doesn't have anything going for them in the locker room, they're not going to want to play for each other. You're not going to see that fight as soon as you go down three four zero early in the game, they're not going to have any care to even push back. Nope. No, they're not. And who wants to play for team members who don't believe in them, coaches that don't believe in them, and a front office that won't even give them the tools that they need to succeed. And this is going to be a really, like, bad take. So, again, DMs are open. Um, I have felt recently – with the potential that our team has had, especially in the past four seasons-ish, 2019, granted we have COVID in there. Um, I really felt like we were a tank team for prospects. Yeah. And that really pisses me off because there's so many times where I really think we could have beaten the Yankees or gotten to the ACLS or – I, so it's frustrating for me because we have all this talent and now if we lose or now if we don't not even meet my expectations or fans expectations now if we don't rise to the occasion now I'm really looking at the front office and like we talked about before I really think this season they've made bold bold moves and they're showing us that okay we do want to win Past five seasons yeah. are forgiven. Let's just move forward. Let's. Yeah, and I think with the new faces too, I'm hoping that can kind of get over. They will never. I don't think any of the Twins players will admit it, but I think seeing the Yankees in the playoffs and knowing the history, I think there's a little bit of that whole. Well, we can't beat them. We never do every year. So I think bringing in a couple of new guys who have the like. I mean, Carlos Correa. I don't think he has any fear in the Yankees. So that's and I think that's going to be a huge part. You're adding a bunch of guys who, who know how to get it done. I mean, Sonny Gray was with the Yankees at one point, so maybe he has some Nurshella. little insider info. Yeah, or Nurshella and Sanchez. I can't even can't remember. I don't know, know why I forgot about them. Because they're Yankees. <laughs> yeah, I, I still can't believe they're on the team. 
I know. It's so weird. I can't believe Josh Donaldson isn't on the team and he's with the Yankees. And he has a shaved face. Oh, he looks like a serial killer. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this has been fun. But before we go, what's your bold prediction on the of the season for the season? Um, my bold prediction is is that we are going to win the ALCS. Um. We are definitely, we are probably going to see the Yankees there and we are definitely going to win it this season. At the end of the season, I do believe we make it to the World Series. Whether or not we win, I think, is going, unfortunately, going to matter to us like in the next 30 minutes as we (laughs) lose. But a half hour, I would have said, I can see us going to the World Series. Um, But I am very comfortable with knowing that we will at least win the ALCS in advance from there. I mean, I, mine's pretty similar. I I just have it said as they make the ALCS, so I'm hoping you're right. I think they have the chance to actually win the ALCS. Yeah. It'd be even better if it is against the Yankees. So, hell yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. You can you can follow Sherry at like I said before. Let me pull it up again. I was checking Twitter. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow her at MN Soda Sports Gal. I. Uh, you can also read her stuff over at Twins Daily. This has been a lot of fun. When you think of Twins Twitter, you have to think of Sherry. Aww. She's one of the best on there. So You're the best. Thank you so much. And I'm really excited, Andrew, because I first of all, I'm honored to even be like on your podcast. First guest. Your first guest. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, I hope I don't screw this up. Um, but thank you, honestly, for talking to me and taking my take seriously. And I'm really excited. So if you ever want to do this again, just let me know. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to do it in the future. Okay. Sounds fantastic. Thank you for everything. All right. See ya. All right. Let's transition into your 45 and 35 Minnesota Timberwolves. They're coming off a def- pretty crushing loss to the Washington Wizards. Uh, last night, it was a gimme. The w- Wizards are not playing for anything. They're currently... 35 and 44 as of today. They are five games back on the Charlotte Hornets for the 10th seed. Absolutely no chance of making the playoffs. They have nothing to play for. But as we all know, teams like to play a little spoiler at the end of the season. But Minnesota's defense has gotten pretty worse. It has got Minnesota's defense has been a lot worse as of late. You know, they're giving up 130 points, but they are scoring close to 130, 140. So, but that's not going to work though in the playoffs. Teams are going to be a lot better offensively. You're looking at like, let's just say we play the Memphis Grizzlies or we play the Phoenix Suns. Giving up 130 points isn't going to fly. Their defense is too elite where Minnesota will probably only score 110, 105, 115 if they're lucky. So Minnesota is going to have to clean some things up. Getting Jaden McDaniels back and healthy will help with that i know patrick beverly has been in and out of the lineup but i kind of feel like that is on purpose i think they've been trying to rest him every other game or give him a couple games rest just so that he's good to go for the playoffs because i mean come playoff time that's he's gonna have to play a lot more anyways you so minnesota is 45 and 35 they are two games back on the denver nuggets there was a little window there where i thought maybe the utah jazz would slip to seven but after winning last night to the Memphis Grizzlies, they are 47-32 and 32 with a two-and-a-half game lead. There's two games left of the season, and the Jazz hold the tiebreaker. So any of those expectations of maybe Utah falling to seven is out of the question. So now 
it is a huge Hail Mary, but Denver could slip to seven and Minnesota could go to six. I mean, the only way that would even happen is if the Nuggets lose their next two games. Uh, they are playing the Memphis Grizzlies and the Den- and the Los Angeles Lakers. Sorry. Um, I mean, San Antonio Spurs are playing for something, so you could see potentially maybe the Spurs win that game. But, I mean, Minnesota is going to be playing the Spurs as well. So, I mean, that's going to be pretty tough. Lakers are out of the playoffs. We love to see it. Nothing made my night better than seeing that. Even though the Wolves lost, I saw the Lakers were officially eliminated and my night was made. And I just got out of the car from driving for 12 plus hours. So you can imagine how great that would have felt. So likely matchup is going to be the Los Angeles Clippers. We don't know when that's going to be, if that's going to be April 12th or April 13th. But anyways, Minnesota is 1-3 and three against the Clippers like I talked about in the last pod. Um, Minnesota will be playing a team that is going to be with Paul George. Potentially, Norm Powell will be back. I think I think it's likely. I bet you 80 to 90% chance that he's going to be in on that series. Then you got Kawhi Leonard, who it's doubtful that he plays. I could see maybe if they're up 2-0 and they want to finish it off. But, I mean, he's coming off an ACL tear. I know there was some things that it was maybe a partial, but he had surgery. Anytime you have surgery, it's not minor. So it's not really looking like he's going to be playing unless absolutely they need him to or they get a comfortable lead and maybe they want to swing him in for a game or two to get him ready for the next round. So, yeah, Minnesota is 1-3, and three, but like I said, Cat and D'Lo did not play that last game in which they won, but neither did PG. So... You could look at it either way. No PG, no Cat and D'Lo. Minnesota pulls out the win. Uh, so, I mean, like, what do you, what are you going to be expecting though when you play the Los Angeles Clippers? Well, for one, size and shooting. Those are the two things that have killed Minnesota this season. I mean, they're even a really physical team. You got Zubats down low. You have, I mean, Reggie Jackson for one. He is a Wolves killer this season. Uh, this season. He's averaging 18.8 points per game, 4.3 assists, 3.3 rebounds, and 50.8% from the field and 43.3 from three. All those all those numbers are against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So Minnesota's going to have to stop him. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe maybe Patrick Beverly goes on Reggie Jackson. I don't trust D'Lo to guard him. I mean, I he did play a lot of free safety this season, but... You're going to have to have someone guard Reggie Jackson and Paul George. I'd expect Jared Vanderbilt to take on the Paul George thing, but he's been kind of banged up. So that's going to be in question there. The Clippers are top three and three. They're they're ranked third in the NBA in three-point percentage. This season, Minnesota has struggled to to cover the three. On average, opponents are shooting 34.9% from three. Now, I mean, that number is a little misconstrued because we've seen how good some teams can be when they're shooting a three. I mean, you saw it in that first game against the Clippers where they went 58.3% from three. And um, as you can expect, Paul George had shot 50% from deep that game. So they're going to have to stop him. They're going to have to stop Reggie Jackson. You're going to have to stop Norm Powell, who is a flamethrower when he gets going. I mean, Rocco, I'm not that worried about him, but he did go 
what was it, 11 for 17 from three the other night against the Bucks. I mean, granted, they didn't have their best defenders on the floor, but you can see how deadly this Clipper team can get. If I had to choose, though, I still think that Minnesota loses that first game. But now that the Lakers are out of the question, you're seeing now a potential matchup between the Pelicans or the Spurs. Of the two, the Pelicans are such a different team than when we saw them that first time. They have C.J. McCollum now. So you mix that in with Valanchunas, who has had the Wolves number. He's a big guy. They're going to have to figure out how to slow him down. And the rebounding, that's going to be a huge key in that game. Then you have Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum, both who can bring the ball up the floor, score anywhere from on, on the court as well. So I... If you had to choose, obviously the Spurs are going to be your team to go with there. I mean, Minnesota has played very well against the Spurs this season. And hey, the last game, Cat dropped 60 points on them. So you'd like that matchup right there. But anyways, yeah, Clipper game, I kind of see that going to be a loss. Then between the Pelicans, Spurs, I think the Pelicans win. Then you're looking at that Pelicans-Wolves matchup. I think in that situation, even though the Pelicans have played really well against Minnesota this season, you're going to have to choose Minnesota. Two games at home. Crowd's going to be electric. It's just hard to see. But then you're getting a date with the Phoenix Suns, and no one wants that. I mean, they're probably, they are the likely favorites to win the NBA championship. If I had to pick right now, it's going to be the Suns versus Bucks. Let's keep the, let's keep the theme going. Suns in six. So it's going to be a tough game, tough, tough stretch. Then you're going to have to be playing the Clippers, and then likely the Pelicans, like I said. But, yeah, who knows? Let's keep the good vibes going. Good two games coming up here against the Spurs and the Bulls. I think Minnesota wins, goes 1-1 one and one and loses against that Bulls team. I think the Bulls have a lot to play for in that final game. Something to prove more seeding-wise than Minnesota will. But, yeah, it's it's tough. All right, let's finish things off with a little bit of Vikings talk. With the draft coming up in a couple weeks, I am going to be going over the draft, like I said, in the last pod. So in the coming weeks, I'll be doing some draft coverage. So this week, I'll be covering the cornerbacks. Next week, most likely some offensive linemen. And we'll see where we go from there. But those are the first two in mind that the Vikings have a weakness of. So before we actually like dive into some of the players that I looked at, let's... I do want to go over their depth chart. So right now they have Patrick Peterson, who they just re-signed, which was a big get because, I mean, he was in the games he played. He looked pretty good. He should be a focal point of that defense. He's kind of a leader in that locker room. So you have Patrick Peterson, Harrison Hand, Shannon Sullivan, who they just signed not that long ago. You have Nate Harrison. And then you also have Cam Dantzler, Chris Boyd, and Perry Nickerson. It's not great, but you see some of the stuff starting to come to fruition. You know, with Patrick Peterson there, with Mike Zimmer gone, I think Cam Dantzler will have a better season. I think with Zimmer there, he's been he was very vocal about his kind of stance on Zimmer. So with him out of the picture, I think he kind of goes back to that state where he's feeling good again he's feeling rejuvenated Kevin O'Connell is now the head coach things look to be better I mean when Cam Dantzler was playing and when he's on he's on so I do like his like 
potential to become a number two, number three kind of cornerback there. Minnesota still needs that elite lockdown corner like we used to see with Xavier Rhodes in the past. You know, something something like that Jalen Ramsey type. And that's very kind of very picking at the very top of the tree there. But in order to win, you kind of need that shutdown corner. And that's Xavier Rhodes was a part of that elite defense that we were seeing in the past. So to, before we get into it, I kind of covered four different cornerbacks to here. I kind of did a little deep dive on each individual player, looked at film, kind of looked at their stats, looked at PFF, see what they saw what they had to say about everything. So let's start out with Derek Stingley Jr., a guy that myself and a lot of Vikings Twitter is very high on. So I'm going to be going over a quick, like, rapid fire on some of the pros and cons of each player. But for Derek Stingley, some of the pros are he's 6'1 and 195. He was a number one recruit out of high school. Not that that means anything, but it's still nice to know. I mean, the potential of anytime you're talking about a player, you can just say, hey, number one recruit out of high school, and you're always going to go back to, okay, I like this guy. He's got potential. Also, with re-signing Patrick Peterson, you do have that LSU ties for Stingley Jr. to kind of make that transition from college to the NFL kind of see maybe what he needs to do to stay healthy, kind of figure out, because cornerback is one of the hardest positions in football, and it's not going to be easy for any rookie to kind of come over. So I like that ability. I like that re-signing even more so, knowing that they could have Stingley Jr. on the board at 12 there. He had one of the best freshman years ever recorded. And I'm not talking about just in 2019, he finished as one of the best in that class. I'm talking about ever recorded in the NCAA football history. That season, he finished with a PFF grade of 91.7, which ranked number one in the country at that position. I'll get into a little bit more of that later, but that's you're talking about a guy who could be that Jalen Ramsey type of player. Stanley Jr. also possesses a rare combo of speed and size. He also finished with the highest war of any non-quarterback. He's got really good ball skills, and he intercepts the ball with ease. Freshman year, he had six interceptions off the top of my head. I I don't believe he finished with any more his sophomore and junior year, but like I said, he was injured, so he weren't seeing that same kind of player. But you're talking about a guy who can turn the ball over, make plays. He's very aggressive. And he also has a elite speed to make up if he does get burnt. A lot of times, if you see that rare occasion of where his guy beats him down the field, he's going for the touchdown. It's not happening. Stingley Jr. is going to be there. He's going to break the, the ball up. It's not happening. One thing that is kind of that like eye-popping type of... When you watch film, you'll see what I'm talking about. But he's really patient at the line of scrimmage. He's not a guy that sees the receiver dancing, jukes him out at the, at the line of scrimmage. It just doesn't happen, which is really impressive for a guy his age. You don't see very many young cornerbacks come out and have that kind of patience. If we're going to be looking at cons, there's really nothing that stands out other than that he has been injured in the past. Since 2020, he's only played in 10 games. 
as I said before, in 2019, he did finish with that 91.7 PFF grade. In 2020, he did drop off significantly. I mean, his PFF grade was 72.1, so you're talking about almost a 20-point difference there. He was also 138th out in at that position in the country. In 2021, he wasn't ranked because he only played in three games, but his PFF grade continued to drop, and it was 66.6. I mean, that was only in 154 snaps, but he did give up a 50% completion rate. A couple days ago, it was announced, though, that he will be available for a pro day. He was rehabbing a torn ligament in his left foot, which anytime a player has a knee or a foot injury, there's always the pretty big cause of concern there especially knowing the history of you know we had mike hughes there he looked really good but he just couldn't stay healthy and this is a direct quote from pff it says this ranking is banking on a lot of what stingley put on tape a long time ago but it's not as if that talent went anywhere he has only allowed a 41.1 percent completion percentage for his career and has been starting since his freshman year So you have to like that quote right there. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's been starting his whole career at LSU. He's, he is the best corner in this class, hands down. If the Vikings can draft him, that'd be phenomenal. The only question is, can he stay healthy? Next guy on the list is Trent McDuffie. One thing about him is that he's a fearless player. When you watch him play, if a guy is in the open field, McDuffie is charging at him full speed. He plays with a ton of energy. He's super competitive. He's actually a lot of fun to watch. If you ever watch any of the film on him, you're going to fall in love with this guy. The only concern that he does bring to the table is his size. He's only 5'11 and 195. He doesn't necessarily have that. He can be a cornerback one, but I think you're looking at that CB2, CB3 which is not what you're sort of looking for at 12. So if if, they, if Stingley Jr. is not on the board at that point, I think you have to look in another direction. But maybe the Vikings can swing for a trade, maybe trade back. I would like that a bit. I would like that option because he is super competitive and he's been really consistent over his three years. Uh, 2019, he had a PFF grade of 85.4, which ranked 16th. 2020, it was 80.6, which ranked 24th. And in 2021, his grade was 86.8, which was 16th. So, I mean, you're talking about a difference of 16th to 24 for three straight years. Granted, he was in the Pac-12, but you do like that potential there. He's he's going to give you consistent play. And again, PFF quote, outside of length, McDuffie has everything you could want from a high-end cornerback. At only 5'11", McDuffie plays consistently bigger than what he's listed at. He's only allowed 16 catches from 36 targets for 111 yards with no scores and five pass breakups. That's pretty damn good. All right. I know this is probably number two on Vikings Twitter. I think a lot of people like Ahmad Gardner, or as you all know, his nickname is Sauce. Pros. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. You're talking about a guy who has elite size at that position. You're not going to, if you're going up, I mean, you're going up against like a DK Metcalf, you're going up Julio Jones type, those type of big body receivers. 
he's going to shut him down all day long. One thing about him is he's really competitive and confident in his play. I think if you watch his tape, you'll see that he's he's not afraid of anyone. So if he is in the NFL, if he if you lined him up with Cooper Cup on that first play, he's not going to be sweating at all. He's going to say, I can lock him up. The one concern I do have about him, and it's a pretty big one, is his he since he is big and he has a lot of physicality to his style of play, sometimes that physicality can lead to a lot of hand grabbing. He had a lot of penalties in in college. And as you all know, some of the NFL receivers are a lot better. They're craftier. They know the rules. I think he's going to get caught for a lot of penalties there. I think they're going to find ways to kind of abuse that. 2019, his PFF grade was 87.1, finished 15th in the country at that position. 2020, it was 77.5. That's 56. And in 2021, he finished with an 87.1 grade, and that was ranked 15th. So he did bounce back after that 2021 season. Garter has never allowed a single touchdown in his career, despite starting since he was a true freshman. In 2021, he took his game to another level, allowing only 131 yards in 14 games. Okay, actually, quick correction. That is my bad on that part. In 2019, it was an 88.0 grade. That ranked 10th, not, I basically probably copy and paste it or just looked at it wrong. In 2021, that's where the 87.1 was, and he finished 15th in the country. So that's my bad on that part. 10th, 56th, 15th from freshman to senior year there. Uh, So if I had to choose off those top three, those are going to be the top three players at that position going into the draft. I think my my position would be Stingley Jr., Sauce Gardner, and then McDuffie. The last one, which I, I think maybe you're going to be looking at him uh, second or third kind of round, uh, you got Kyer, Kyer Alam. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that name. I should have double-checked the pronunciation on that. But he is 6'2 and 196 pounds, so you do like the size there. It's kind of a pro, kind of a con depending on how you want to look at it. But Alam, Alam is better in the zone than he is man-to-man. His size does allow him to make up for some of the plays, which he's also really good at the 50-50 balls because he's 6'2". He was one of the, actually the faster players at his position at the combine. He finished with a 4.39 40-yard dash. His con list is a little bit longer than some of the other guys where we've kind of gone over here, but... He did not play well in 2021. I'll go over that in a second, but it was a significant, and I'm talking a significant drop-off. In 2021, he did look a lot lazier. You could kind of see that maybe he almost didn't care, or maybe he was thinking like the NFL draft is coming up. But you'd almost think that that's where you'd try harder. But in any case, you can see like maybe he just wanted to get to the next step. Things weren't going. Maybe he wasn't getting along with the coaching. I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but there are uh, uh, there are other things you could look to that maybe was a drop off in his play because it was a weird drop off. Some of the other issues he does have is he does not do well on the early releases on routes. He gets burned a lot, which, as we all know from last season, that's not something you want to hear. 
He's also not very good in the run. I mean, if you're talking about for the Minnesota, they were not good at defending the run either. So I don't really know if Alam is your best fit here, to be honest. I mean, you're talking about a guy who isn't good in the run, gets burnt pretty easily. That was two of the biggest issues last year on defense. In 2019, his PFF grade was 87.8. He finished with, that was 11th in the country. In 2020, he finished with a 77.4 grade, which ranked 58th. And here comes the doozy. In 2021, it was 61.8, and he dropped all the way to 654. You're talking about a guy who was 11th, and then he fell all the way to 654. I don't know about you guys, but maybe there's something there, second or third round, like I said, but I would not waste my time on him with that first pick. And again, direct quote from PFF, Alam is a long physical corner who shut down some of the SEC's best. Despite seven penalties, Alam is still only allowed 19 catches from 36 targets for 191 yards last season. So like I said, Stingley Jr., and you're talking about Sauce Gardner, McDuffie, and then Alam. Those are the four. If Stingley Jr. is not there, like I said, let's go offensive line. That's kind of the biggest need then. But that will be, if you are interested in kind of hearing some of the more, some of that offensive line talk next week, I'll be going over four or five guys that I think they should be targeting either at that 12th pick or maybe further down in the draft. But anyways, that wraps up our second episode. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, cheers.